Well, it is great to be together as we launch into this Advent season together and in our Advent series as well. And so what we're going to do this year for these four weeks that, that wrap up on Christmas Eve uh, is we're going to kind of uh, settle in on one key anchor verse and then every week from there kind of launch into another part of Scripture that sort of backs that up or, or, or helps us um, fill out the understanding of what that verse means. Uh, again, just a quick reminder, our Christmas Eve service is 5 o'clock in the evening up at Silvertip. We won't have a morning service on Christmas Eve. So just evening, 5 o'clock, Silvertip. Um, it'll be a great evening together there. And that's when we'll wrap this God With Us series up. And so this verse and the idea that comes with it is really uh, one of the core concepts of Christianity. Uh, we want to set our minds on the idea and the power of the incarnation. And that's kind of a big theological term that means, uh, as John wrote it in the beginning of his gospel, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that, that, that Jesus was God and came to earth. And so uh, the theme for the next first week is to just sort of help us understand it and grow in our understanding of, of, of what that means, that the word became flesh, that God himself took on humanity and is God among us. So let's jump in this series and message about the presence of God. And here's the verse that we'll come back to week after week. It's Matthew 1, 23. Matthew writes for us uh, in that verse, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, if you've been following Jesus for probably any length of time, I think it can be really easy to believe that God is with us when things are going well, right? When, when the sun is out, when you're on the mountaintops, we're in Canmore, so either literally or figuratively, when you're up on a mountaintop, when things at work are going well, uh, parents of young kids, when those kids sleep through the night for the first time, you know that God loves you and his face is shining on you. When you get that nice, close parking spot on 10% Tuesday for groceries, you just know that God is with you, right? Those mountaintop times, it's, it's really a, a lot easier to, to, to know and maybe grasp that, yeah, God, God is with me. Things are going well. God is smiling on me. But we know that's, that's not the case all the time, right? Life isn't always good. Sometimes it's it's. it's much more difficult to sense that God is with you. There, there's, there's times in our lives that are, that are nowhere near that mountaintop time. And instead, we feel like the mountains are rising up around us and just burying us even in the valley. These times when things don't go your way, when, when you get bad news on top of bad news, times and seasons where you're, you're worried or afraid or anxious, or, or battling a depression that just seems to not let up. And so today we want to talk about God in the valleys, which I think is also a nice segue into surviving the holidays Tuesday evening. Another interesting thing about thinking about mountaintops and, and valleys is, is sometimes we can kind of be living in, in both places at once. We can have one part of our lives where it does seem like God is with us and everything is going well, but then there's this, just, this, this lingering thing that, that just tries to drag us down into the valleys. A parts of our lives where we do feel like God is smiling on us and others that just the weight seems crushing. 
And so as we head into Advent and Christmas season, often these two kind of lives or parts of our lives can clash, our, our mountaintops and our valleys. We start to hear on the radio the familiar songs that tell us, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And yet we have dark clouds brewing because there's a weight of some other part of life, whether it's, it's, it's stress in the family, whether it's financial stress, whether it's the burden of, of exams or something coming up, we've got these dark clouds looming and we've got this two place, these two things happening at once. And some of us are here right now where we, we know there's, there's parts of our lives that we're, we're excited about, we feel like God is blessed and we're, we're happy to be walking in, and yet we've got this weight of something going on too. So what do we do? Where do we find God in the valleys? Well, we want to go to Scripture always when we want to wrestle through these things. And, and it's interesting, when we look at the Bible, the valley is often uh, a symbol of many things. It's a, it's a place that can represent lots of different things. Often in the Old Testament, that's where battles took place, in the valley. And some of us may feel like we're not in a literal battle right now, but we are battling uh, it can represent the, the, the valley or this, this talk of going through the valley or being in the valley can, can speak to seasons of depression. It okay, can speak to seasons of loneliness. But interesting, interestingly enough, the, the valley is often where the best growth takes place. So we can enjoy God when we're on the mountaintops, but we have the opportunity to experience him differently when we're in the valley. One pastor that I follow online and, and, and I've read a lot of his stuff and listened to his podcast, I've, I don't know how many times I've heard him say this, but he says, we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know God intimately in the valleys. We can know him and enjoy him when things are good, but there are just some things we cannot experience, some parts of who God is and how he relates to us and what he wants for us that we just can't understand and experience until we hit the valley. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'll invite you to open to Psalm 84. We're going to springboard from our core verse or our anchor verse in Matthew 1 back into the Psalms in Psalm 84. Uh, and if you get there and you look the, at, at Psalm 84, you might see that it's titled uh, uh, a psalm of those who are longing to be with God, longing for God's house. And there's a, a couple of verses in here that we're going to key, and we're actually going to kind of skip the first chunk and jump in at verse 5. Let me, let me read it for us. The psalmist writes, or the, the, the sons of Korah write, happy or, or blessed are the people whose strength is in you, God, whose, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacah, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, and each appears before God in Zion. There's, there's a key place in these verses. The, the Valley of Bacah, they, 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 it's a place that people pass through. And so we want to kind of focus on that a little bit. What, what is this place? Well, uh, chances are the place is actually named after a tree, uh, the balsam tree. Uh, linguistically in the Hebrew, uh, these two words, Bacah and the word for, for balsam, are, are, are pretty similar. And this is a tree that would, would ooze sap, one of those that you hate to walk by and then lean on, right? Because then you're stuck. But people would see this, this oozing tree and they would call it the weeping tree because it looked like the tree was, was crying. 
And so depending on your translation, even as you open up to Psalm 84, it might, you might not see the valley of Baca. You might see one of these other things. You might see it as the valley of tears or the valley of weeping or the valley of loss. And also, any time you see a valley in the Bible, you also see a place that was dangerous and inhospitable. There's often thorns and wild animals and, and robbers and thieves hiding in the valleys. It was often very difficult to get through the valleys. But look at how this section in the Psalms, starting at verse 5, starts out. The psalmist writes, Blessed are the ones whose strength is found in you, God. So it's important to look at the source of our strength. Now, uh, if you're here with us and not yet a follower of Jesus, first, thank you for being with us. I'm so glad that you're here. But if you don't know God, when you, when you come to a point in life where you, you just say, that's it, I have enough, I can't do this anymore, uh, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted, there's not enough in me to cope with all this, there is a sense in which you're exactly right. All you have is what you have. And there's times when it's just not enough. Now, if we follow Jesus, we believe there's actually a strength that goes beyond what we have. There's a strength that we can access that comes from God himself being with us. And that's why the psalmist can write, blessed are those whose strength comes from you. It, it, it helps us to, to have that, that, that blessedness, that happiness in our lives, that, that real deep sense of of, of understanding and knowing who we are, it doesn't come from in us. It comes from him. I do also need to say that just because we're following Jesus, that doesn't mean we'll always feel like we have enough. It doesn't mean that we'll always uh, remember that we can lean on God for our strengths, that we also have to keep looking out for that strength. And I know from recent firsthand experience that when things aren't going well, it can be really easy to start feeling, or sorry, when things are going well, it can be really easy to start feeling like, hey, I've kind of got it all together. I, I've got it all under control. Things are, things are smooth. Things are just great. Yet sometimes, we actually need God to humble us a little bit, to remind us where our strength comes from. There was a point uh, in, for me just a few months ago even where I found myself that kind of internal, internal monologue saying, I'm not okay. I, I, I'm at the end of my strength. All the things that I'm trying to hold together, the, the plates I'm trying to spin, all, whatever else, I just I, I can't do it anymore. I can't keep going on like this. And I shared it with a few people who were close and, and, and they prayed for me and encouraged me. And over the next couple of weeks, I took some time to just evaluate why I was trying to keep all these plates spinning and, and, and where I was putting my time and energies. I spent time to, to pray and reflect and to go see a counselor and go see my doctor. Uh, one of the things that helped start carrying me through to this point of healing, which I, I'm getting closer, but it's still a progress, was, was this quote I read in a book by Sean Nemechek. He said, burnout happens when our inner life with God is no longer able to sustain our outer work for God. I'd picked up this book a while back and then finally started reading it, and it was, I think, page five where this quote was. And I was like, well, that was worth the price of admission right there. So often the, 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 the problem 
when our lives feel like they're starting to fall apart is that our time with God isn't enough. We haven't been there enough. We haven't gone to him enough. We haven't looked to the source of our strength enough to carry the weight of all the things we're trying to do. In my case, I actually regularly need to be reminded that I'm finite, not infinite. I only have so much to give. I have got limits. I need rest. I need to be replenished. I need God for that. I need to keep praying. Even at, at nights, one of the things I'm trying to remember to pray is that, okay, God, I, I got to go to bed. It's, it's late. I'm tired. I'm done. You got to take care of things until I wake up. And just that, that small like shift of, off of me onto God, I think, can be really life-giving. Blessed are those whose strength is found in God. Notice what the, the psalmist doesn't say here. He doesn't say, blessed or happy are those who make it on their own. Blessed or, or happy are those or fulfilled are those who, who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I actually don't know what bootstraps are. Maybe if you're wearing uh, blundstones, you've got bootstraps, right, to get them on? That's maybe <laughs> we're trying to get back to that. Blessed are those who make people think that they have it all together. That's not what it says. It doesn't say, blessed are those who are really, really focused and efficient and determined. No, it says, happy are the people who know that their strength is found in God. One of the, the problems in our world today that creeps into our lives and creeps into the church as well is that we idolize a spirit of independence and autonomy. We, we've, we've really made it, the world says, if we can say, actually, I, I don't need anyone. I, I, can, I can do it on my own. Uh, that starts young, often. Uh, we've got a, I, I've told you this before, but we've got this video of our, our daughter when she was, I don't know, two, uh, trying to eat, I think it was, I, something like that. And her parents are trying to help her because, you know, we're parents. And she says, I do it myself. <laughs> like, barely forming comprehensive sentences, but I do it myself. Our world says we've really made it if we can say, I'm independent. I don't want to or need to trust others or get help from others. In fact, I don't need anyone, not even God. But we weren't created to be like that. We weren't created to be independent. We were created by God to depend on him and to depend on others. I've been doing some reading back in, in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, and one of the first things we see is that it's not good for us to be alone. And so I think we could add, I hesitate to say add to the psalm, but we could maybe put an, an addendum, a footnote, that's not, not scripture, so it's okay, right? We could add a little footnote to Psalm 84, 5 that says, blessed, who those, blessed are those who actually realize that you are dependent, and you also have access to a power that's greater than yourself. For some of us, maybe, maybe that's, that's all you needed to hear this morning. You don't have enough, and it's okay because Jesus is with you, and he has enough. For some of us, we need to hear, you actually don't have what it takes. But the virgin gave birth to a son who was named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I've said this uh, before as well in, in our times together, but we are so lucky to have a number of English translations. So let me uh, read the next couple of verses from the New Living Translation. And verse 5 is, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, 
who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. I really like that, that phrase, and it actually ties in where we've come in our Colossians series that we, we kind of took a break from after last week. Those who have set their minds on a pilgrimage. See, it reminds us that, that we're all on a journey. We're all in process. We're all in progress. And we may find ourselves in the valley now, but we're on our way to, to this place, that, that pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which was known as the city of refuge or a place of peace. That, that's where we're headed. One commentary puts it this way, to get to the city of refuge, to get to the place of peace, you actually had to travel through the valley of tears, right? These, the, the places in this psalm, they're real places. In order to, to get through our pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the city of refuge, to the place of peace, you traveled through the valley of tears, I think the thing is, in order for us to really appreciate the presence and power of God in our lives, we actually need to go through the valley. Another writer says this, for so many, the valley is, is the pathway to the place of peace. We've, we've pushed through the valley, and we're on a pilgrimage. And that's what the psalm says, blessed are those who, have, who set their minds on that pilgrimage to God. Because what you think about matters a lot. Another a quote I've used Often with our kids, I don't know if it actually has helped or not. It's probably not always appropriate in the, in the moment. But Henry Ford once said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. It's good for a student learning piano. Good for someone trying to balance on skate skis. Good for someone trying to uh, climb the hills, chasing the mountain bike guys around week by week. Whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. What you set your mind on matters. And we, we talked about this, I think it was even last week in our Colossians series. Paul writes there, set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are below. Paul writes to another church in Philippians 4 he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Set your minds on these things. Now, it, it, it matters where we are when we're, we're traveling through the Valley of Tears. That matters. We don't want to just pretend we're not there. But it matters even more where we set our minds. What you think about matters. And again, I, I bet there are more than a few of us that need this reminder, maybe for the second, third, I don't know how many times this morning. But when we're in the valley, because the valleys come, when we're in the valley, it's really easy to keep our eyes focused on those current circumstances, have those blinders on that just keep our head down and looking at the, the mess that we're in and the hardship we're in and, and the hurt and the pain and the anxiety, all the things. But we can be in the valley and still have our minds set on God. We can be anxious and still tell ourselves we need to set our minds on God. Our souls can be aching in the moment but we can still set our minds on God. Our emotions may be all over the place. They may be racing to any number of places, but we can still set our minds on God. And there may be too much to do this Christmas season and too much pressure and too many things coming up in the next few weeks, but we can still set our minds on God. And we can be walking through tragedy and heartbreak and grief and loss and still set our minds on God. 
in the midst of whatever it is we're going through, we turn our eyes to Jesus. We set our minds on the goodness of God because he is with us. John wrote later in one of his letters, greater is the one who is in me than the one who is in the world. So let's look to him. Because God is with us, and he is going through the valley with us, preparing a way. He's the one that gives strength when we're weak. He's the one we need every moment of every day. He's the ones whose words are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. When I can't go farther, farther his power carries me on. And look again at this in verse 6. This is, again, the New Living Translation. The psalmist say, When they walk, those who, have, who recognize their strength comes from God and are on this pilgrimage, when they walk through the valley of weeping, notice it says when, not if, and you know, if they happen to take a detour, when we walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. Again, the, the key word there is, well, when, I guess, I highlighted that, but also through. There's, there's an end to the valley. I may be in the valley now, but I'm, I'm just passing through because my eyes are set on Jesus and he is leading me there. David wrote something really f- similar in Psalm 23, didn't he? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So often my instinct when I find myself in the valley is to offer up a prayer to just kind of ask God to like Star Trek teleport me out of the valley. Beam me up, God. Let's go, let's go back to the mountaintop, please. But we have to realize that if, if God actually answered that prayer every time I prayed it, I'm going to miss out on so many things he has to teach me in the valley. I'll go right back to thinking I've got it all together. I can handle I do it myself. The pilgrimage to the place of peace goes through the valley. And then look at the next phrase in this verse. That when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing spring. In the old King James Version, it says, when they pass through it, they make it a well, which is interesting. In other words, he's saying, when you're in that dry place, prepare for the spring to come. Get ready for refreshment to come. Dig a well so that when it rains, you're ready. Uh, we, we set our minds in the valley on what God on what he will do, on the provision that he will send. We, we prepare a container to hold on to that presence and provision. One writer says, it's kind of like this. It's like God is saying something like, hey, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. This isn't a works thing. This is a faith thing. He's saying, if you dig it, I'll fill it. If you prepare it, I'll show up. If you show me your faith, I'll show you my faithfulness. And there's a number of examples of this in the Bible. There's one in the Old Testament where the prophet went to a widow who was, who was on her last bits of, of sustenance, and, and she said, I, I'm, like, my, her husband had been a, a, a prophet as well, and so says to, I think it was uh, Elijah, says, I'm done, like, I'm, we're going to die here. He says, go to all your friends, collect all the containers you have, and then we're going to start pouring your oil into these containers. And the, every container she had was full. And when the containers were full. It stopped, right? Do you remember, maybe you remember that story? Gather as much as you can, and, and, and we'll fill it. 
But it also seems like, like, like Jesus taught this too when he did some of his miracles. In the New Testament, we see him healing others. And when he goes to heal someone, he doesn't just say, yeah, I'll heal you. It's done. Think of the man, the example of the man with the withered hand. What does Jesus say to him? He says, stretch out your hand. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had you know, a crippled hand and, and wherever Jesus went, crowds went, and he said, you know, lift that up for the people to see. I mean, right now I'd be, I'd say, Jesus, can we do this somewhere else? Like, can we go somewhere quiet out of the way? I, I, and their culture was even more honor and shame-based, right? So how, how maybe, maybe ashamed and, and, and worried would this man have been? Maybe thinking, Jesus, you're just trying to make a spectacle out of me? I, I don't like this. But I think what Jesus is actually asking for is a demonstration of faith. Hey, do you think I can heal you? Lift up your hand. Another example, there's a guy who had been crippled for 38 years. Jesus didn't just walk by and say, hey, let's go home. What do you say? No. Get up. How do you say get up to someone who's been crippled for 38 years, right? Paralyzed for 38 years. Get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Show me your faithful. Show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness, he says. I, I love this promise of God. It's throughout the scripture well. I need to cling to it more often myself, where he says, if you draw near to me, if you come to me and show me that you, you need me and, and recognize that you need me, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you as well. Show me your faith. I'll prove myself faithful. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you make room for me, I'll reveal myself to you, he says. Some of us here just need to stop and take a breath. We're just going too fast from one thing to the next or, or any, any space in our lives. We, we put our headphones in and turn on music or we, we turn the radio on or we, we rush off to something else or we check our social media to see what happened in the last 42 seconds. We, uh, Neil Postman wrote a book a long time ago that said we're just amusing ourselves to death when what we really need to do is stop and dig a well to pause, take a breath, and make space for God to prove himself. Maybe another example we can look at of somebody doing this in Scripture is Moses. He's, he's out in the, in the desert, he's with his sheep, and he sees a burning bush. And he doesn't just kind of give the bush a drive-by, snap a picture and upload it to Instagram to prove he was there and keep on going with his life. No, he, he goes, he checks it out, and then God invites him to stay. Take off your sandals, Moses. This place is holy ground. Elsewhere, God says, be still and know that I am God. We can't know that if we're rushing around all the time. And so this Advent season, we need to slow down, take a breath where we can, evaluate our schedules, look at how we're spending our days, and even if you're walking through the valley of tears, stop and dig a well. Prepare for his presence. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. And we enjoy God so much on the mountains in the good times, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. And here's kind of my parting hope that we would all understand that God never promised us that we wouldn't go through the valley. He never promised us the good life. He'd come to me and everything will be good and your kids will listen and, and it, 
bank account will always be in the black and all the things. God never promised that you wouldn't go through the valley, but he promised you wouldn't go through the valley alone. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you again for this season where, where we get to stop and hopefully slow down a little bit, catch our breath, and, and look at what you've done for us. Behold, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We've talked this morning about a few different places in Scripture where where you showed up and, and showed up to people and did amazing things. And, and even now, as we're praying, I'm reminded how you told your disciples that it, was, it would be better for you to go. It was better for you to go through the cross because then you'd be able to send the helper, the, 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 the Holy Spirit to us so that each one of us, as we put our hope and our faith in you, we actually have the, the indwelling Spirit of God in our lives. I pray that we would remember that. I pray this week, maybe even today, maybe even this afternoon, that when things start to speed up and we're not sure how things are going to go, that we would be reminded of this passage in Matthew, but also Psalm 84. Happy are those, blessed are those people whose strength is found in you, who remember that we're on a pilgrimage, we're, we're, we're on a journey to the place of peace, the city of refuge, we may be in the valley of tears, the valley of weeping now, but we'll pass through it because you're with us. And so while we're here, we want to make space for you. So Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you come?